Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome, speaking of reliability, this is Diana Dini. And this is Chris Jackson. And Diana was just talking to me about uh, supply chain vulnerabilities and critical supply chains and how that might impact the world of reliability engineering. Yeah, this has been a hot topic since, well, at least since 2020. And I know the whole supply chain world has been shaken up and companies are moving to um, other countries or the developing um, additional manufacturing facilities, supply facilities in different countries to kind of manage us. This is just a hot topic, especially when people are trying to uh, achieve their their output, they're manufacturing their products, and then there's a supply chain issue, and they have to find another supplier for a component. Um, so I think about how that affects the reliability of the product. Now, wh what's your initial thoughts about that, Chris? Well, I think reliability has to end quality when it comes to manufacturing. It has to involve that uh, non-adversarial, non-contractual relationship between the organization making something and the suppliers providing stuff to that organization. And the organizations who do that well manage to have suppliers who are transparent. There's a lot of trust. The the uh, the the company. Let's call it the manufacturer versus supplier. The manufacturer is able to liaise with the suppliers and say, hey, we noticed a problem with this thing. Can you work on that? And the suppliers go, absolutely not a problem with, without being afraid that that is code for we're about to you know, uh, move away from you as a supplier. Those organizations that have that sort of very open, honest dialogue with their suppliers are the ones that tend to do really well. Um, so as soon as you say complex or complicated supply chains or high-risk supply chains, it sort of paints this picture where you don't have a lot of choice and you have uh, fewer suppliers to choose from. And not all suppliers are keen with that open, honest, transparent, trustworthy vibe between them and the manufacturer. So that's the first thing that sprung, springs, springs to mind, that when you have complex supply chains, you, you it sort of paints a picture again that you don't have a lot of choice, in which case you might not have the ability to find a supplier who's willing to work with you in a transparent and trustful way. Yeah, because that also takes time to develop that kind of relationship mm -hmm. with a supplier. Um, and it takes consistent um, touch points. So whether it be a friendly audit, <laughs> I'm not talking about mm -hmm. things are going wrong and you're marching in and trying to find right. problems, but, you know, a friendly audit and a consistent communication, um, that does take a lot of time and effort and management, um, but it would help alleviate some of the, that problem. The other thing is that suppliers um, don't really want that kind of relationship, which, which you've also mentioned. They just kind of want to produce their product that might be like a catalog product right. and just be done with it and not have to have relationships with the people that are buying them. That's true. And that's when you tend to have problems. Um, 
a good example we, that's unavoidable is I work with small satellite manufacturers and the components, the electronic components they need um, are manufactured by organizations whose major clients are, for example, smart, smartphone manufacturers. And with smartphones, the aim is to increase the functionality of components, i.e. reduce the feature size to make sure that that phone can do way more stuff at less weight. But the flip side is everyone who has had a smartphone for more than two years noticed that it mysteriously slows down. And that's because the electronics are starting to wear out because the feature sizes within those electronics are so small. Mm. Whereas in space, you want stuff that's going to last more than two to three years, but there's just no manufacturer creating those sorts of components moving forward. So small satellite manufacturers just need to deal with that and be aware that they're not going to get, let's call it space-rated components, and they need to deal have have robust designs with with uh, redundancy and and uh, fallback measures. As a result, um, one of the more, I suppose, sophisticated approaches is where I've seen small satellites have cells of functionality. Is for example, each cell is is physically identical, but it, each cell can be used for navigation or communication. And as soon as one of those cells breaks down, the, um, the functionality is then redistributed to the to the rest of the cells such that the most important functions are maintained and the least important function is lost. Um, so that's I wouldn't say that's a, a complex supply chain. It's just a supply chain where you are always going to get components that are aimed at other um, operating environments besides yours. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Just because the the volume of one customer base, so if I was the supplier creating these components, um, just looking at the bottom line, the the most, what people want the most, the most people want is those thin, lightweight components to be able to manufacture. Mm-hmm. And that's who most of my customers are. So I am going to want to work with them. And it would have to be uh, a specialized or even a different um, work work company um, in order to produce things for a totally different customer with different needs, um, like the space applications where you need things to be more robust. So yeah, that that is an interesting um, conundrum to have to work with, and to ensure that uh, you build in some reliability redundancies, which is what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't affect it. You it's just no market value for um, these electronic component manufacturers to create space components. Um, when you have the Samsungs and the Apples and the Microsofts and automobile manufacturers of the world demanding something different, um, it's just there's no there's no market for it, so it's never going to change. But that's where you seem to be aware. Yeah, it it used to be where um, if if a company really believed in a new product and there wasn't anybody that manufactured that particular component for them. You know, they they said, all right, well, let's just figure it out in-house. That's uh, <laughs> some of the companies that I uh, worked for yep. earlier in my career, you know, uh, maybe 20 years ago or so. 
But, you know, they would take something that it was completely out of the wheelhouse, but they would figure it out and test it and um, create the product that they needed. But with really complex products like satellites, um, there's not an opportunity really for companies to bring that in-house to do on their own. It's a little bit too complex and um, too specific. What, what do you think about that? I mean, it's it's a conundrum every organization has to face. Um, even simple ones like working with an electric bike manufacturer. Now, electric bikes are increasingly useful, especially for uh, like couriers and delivery, especially in cities, because the electric bikes are smaller. They're often just as fast as a vehicle delivering a pizza in downtown Manhattan, sometimes faster because... They don't have to uh, be in the same lane as a as as gridlock traffic, but um, mm-hmm. they're inherently heavier there because they have batteries and electric motors, and they often have payloads. But the suspension that's available for electric bikes these days is strictly mountain bike suspension, which is not bad. They're not bad suspension technology, especially the forks at the front. But they are designed for a different environment. Yeah. Um, and, and even that slight change creates different failure mechanisms and failure modes, and you just need to be aware of it. So I wouldn't say electric bikes are particularly sophisticated in terms of their configuration. We know what we, we know batteries, we know electric motors, we know bikes. It's just that, again, the manufacturers and the uh, don't have the fleet of suppliers who are going to manufacture forks specifically for electric bikes. Um, and that's okay. You just need to, to work around it. Um, but, but that's also where you want to explore new and different technologies, sometimes simpler suspension technologies, uh, more adaptable to different environments and more ro- and more less likely to be affected by complex supply chains than um, than some of the more complex high-end technologies that you certainly find in high-end mountain bike forks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so having manufacturers making things for one industry when you're working in a different one, (laughs) trying to manage that, um, there's also complexity that's added to the supply chain when you get into multi-level suppliers. Uh, so for for example, there was a uh, a little spring-loaded clip that needed to be gold-plated. And right. the clip itself was a custom design. So you, you can get metal manufacturers to create that kind of thing. Um, but the gold-plating was really critical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was one of those situations where you, you talk with them. And, and so that that is custom, but then they got other pieces from another supplier that they made the custom ones from, you know, um, and they, we didn't have a direct relationship with them. They were a supplier of a supplier. Um, and so right. managing the base metals for that. And then they said, well, we don't, we don't do the gold plating. We send the gold plating out to somebody else to do it. Um, and then trying to work with and communicate with that supplier for the gold plating you know, it got really complicated because mm-hmm. now you're not just working with one supplier that has your best interest in mind. They are still just producing 
one part for a company, even even though it's custom, it's still a little bit standard to what they're used to doing. Um, but then you have so many other suppliers involved that you don't have a relationship with, but that can effectively direct the quality of your product and then eventually affect the reliability of your product. So in, in that instance, what we had done is we tried to communicate and talk with everybody, but we really had to just nail down the spec. Um, and I mean, you want to do that anyway with any critical component, but we found we had to um, add some things or notes or special requirements, um, inspection test results that they said, oh, we, we've never done this before. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, that was a complicated supply chain that we had to work through. Have you had instances of that too? We have the supplier of the supplier and it, it keeps going. Yeah. And I, I find this often in medical devices um, because you're talking, in, we're often talking about, for example, uh, the ability to test and diagnose blood samples and other things. And that when you do medical devices, everyone in the room has a PhD, like everyone <laughs> you have <laughs> You have a guy who's got a PhD in microfluidics. So the ability for, you know, understanding how fluids move through teeny tiny little orifices in test equipment. Then you'll have the person, PhD in DNA, and you have PhD in um, the chemicals that react with certain elements. It's just, um, it's incredible. And you have to, in many cases, get the coating of these orifices just right and they can't be too thick, they can't be too thin, the angles of the wells need to be perfect. And this is all at microscopic scale, nanoscale even. Um, and so it's not just that, then you need to examine well, what is a manufacturing machine's actually doing at such mm -hmm. small scales. There is there is always going to be some sort of variation from the beautiful shape that you have on a PowerPoint slide. Um, the I've seen, I've been involved in many projects which uh, essentially I'm called in because I am the impartial third party and I can sit down and speak to each each warring party um, and say, essentially adjudicate um, and just be that guy more than a reliability engineer. But the only way we got through it is when we said, okay, team, this is a problem we all own. Up until that point, what was happening was uh, like the supplier, the supplier said, no, it's not our fault because the fluid's moving across too fast or this, that, and the other. And then you have somebody else say, well, it's not our fault because that, well, that fluid is moving across too fast. It's within spec and blah, blah, blah. It was just a courtroom drama without a judge huh. or uh, the ability to put people in jail. Um, so what had to change was we said, we had to acknowledge this was a, a, a problem that we all had to own and that meant that the team had to go away and work out how to make that fluid move across just a little bit more slowly and the manufacturer the supplier and supplier had to work out how to change the angle just ever so slightly so that these combined effects would have the necessary outcome and lo and behold when we work together um, and we're able to implement these sort of smaller changes which are with well still within budget didn't require huge changes in approaches but they all combined to resolve the problems. And that was the only way that that organization was going to be able to get together and make it work. 
the reality is if that if the supplier to the supplier, if any supplier wants to be legalistic, say it's not our fault, it's within spec, well, that's good for you. But if the product doesn't work, then you've just lost an entire income stream. So get on board or get out of the way. Um, so again, my experiences with, with medical devices, the only time it works is when you have the ability to have everyone around the same table. No one is more senior than the other. It's just got the technical experts for different areas who work out what they can do to help regardless of whose responsibility it's perceived to be. And that's when organizations start to kick butt, so to speak. Now, when you have that kind of a relationship, I mean, you, you're working really closely with these suppliers to develop something very custom. Uh, that's a totally different beast. If, if one of them um, falls apart, for example, if their supply chain, they can't provide the component, um, then you're kind of stuck. <laughs> there is no one else to go to because it's very custom. So do companies work together on their own supply chain management? Is that part of the conversation that we should be having with our suppliers as we're developing relationships? Like how, how do you manage the components, the suppliers of your components? And then the responsibility is just shared down the line. I think that's a... 10 podcast series right there. <laughs> um, look, I think I, you're right. Me, yeah. I, I, I mean, it, I think it comes down to the personalities involved. For me, for me, when I'm engaging the supplier, you can tell if they're proactive, in my opinion. You, you got some idea. If you can you can see if they're a, that the people who are, who are sent your way, you can tell if they're there to try and make this work or or if they're there to hold the line, um, it's, it's it's nothing you can really. Con that's especially military customers. They're the worst at this. They they get enamored by organisations which have sixty retired generals on their board of directors and this and that and the other. And all of a sudden, when they start to go to full rate production, the, the wheels fall off. In many cases, quite literally. Um, it's more about the ability to step see past what are perceived contractual requirements and boundaries and you know domains let's say that um because you can examine the supply chain as much as you want but you don't have this you don't have the sort of visibility that you do you get once you start working with these people and even then things are going to go wrong and you just want that person you interacted with to be the sort of proactive person who's just going to find a way to make it work as opposed to you know look for a contractual clause to get out of the mess I, yeah. I don't know. That's probably a weak, weak answer, or maybe it's a great answer. I'm not sure, but uh, that's I put a lot of value on, on on the personalities associated with suppliers. I've had um, suppliers that I've worked with um, from personalities, and and it and it was it, it's great when it clicks, um, but then you know, sometimes things happen where the company decides to go from a scrappy small company and they want to grow to something a little bit bigger and then um different different people get involved so mm -hmm. it is an ongoing relationship that you just kind of have to to manage and navigate as changes happen and um mm -hmm. yeah so you know with with the suppliers we talked about quite a few ways that 
the supply chain can affect reliability and how it can get complicated. Um, we talked about the uh, the catalog situation where you have different um, big customer bases or, or companies making components for different customer bases, and you're not one of them, <laughs> but you want to use their component. And then the supplier of the supplier of the supplier, and then just managing different suppliers together, working together to um, make it through a project. And it kind of comes back to what you mentioned in the beginning of the episode here, which is just um, establishing some trust and relationships and being able to manage them. Do you have any other comments about all that? Oh, I just... Again, that's that 10 podcast series we were talking about. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we're just uh, kind of touching on the surface of some of the things that we've seen and experienced with supply chains. But those are good things to think about. My spidey senses get ting tingling when I'm when I'm being told to interrogate or, or assess a supplier. And the supplier says, again, and now just that military example, those military customers get enamored by retired generals and boards of directors and, you know, CVs and resumes of, you know, people who have spent 30 years doing this before they become the most senior person in their craft. I prefer to see suppliers who talk about or let you interact with the engineers, the technicians, the designers, and what have you, who are going to build and design and manufacture your thing. And they are the younger engineers because once you spend 30 years in an organization and moving up the, the hierarchy, chances are you're not designing a damn thing anymore. You're uh, attending meetings. You're reviewing quarterly stuff. Uh, you're parking your car in the best car park. You're, you're not that person anymore. And those organizations which have don't have that sort of distinction where they say, well, here here is here is Tony. He's going to be the microfluidics expert. He's done, he just finished doing this and he's going to be the guy who designs your thing. And here is Sarah and, and uh, she is really good at this. And she's, you know, she, she's mid 20. She's, and uh, she's, she's just working through uh, hydraulics and this, like this, that, and the other, she's going to be your point of contact for this part. And all of a sudden you're speaking to the people who are going to do, do the things as opposed to people who are going to oversee the things. Mm -hmm. um, and when you speak to people who are going to do the things, if a company is brave enough to put those people forward and say, hey, take it or leave it, these are our people, we trust them, um, then that's a huge statement that the, the supplier in question, the potential supplier in question gets what you want. Um, usually those companies which provide that sort of board of directors risk, risk, uh, um annex of CVs and resumes, they don't know how they're going to solve your problems. They're trying to, you know, impress you with with, with corporate experience and, and and everything else and like a marketing headshots with suits. Right. Yeah. Um so that's that's where I that's where my spidey senses get tingled. I don't think you I see too many textbooks which talk about that, but I give me a supplier where I get the disheveled, you know, people people with their with uh, dirty fingernails who have clearly been the ones who are going to make your thing. And if you're able to, if they're able to answer questions in a coherent way, it's a really good first step because they're the people who are going to be making your thing. That's good advice. And I've, uh, I've had experiences where I've worked in that situation where instead of the front man, 
um, the salesperson, you know, selling a standard component. Um, there's been situations where I've been able to work with the suppliers, doers, um, and it is very valuable. And and I agree that is the best way to go, especially for custom products. Good advice. Well, Chris, we took something that was, like you said, could have probably been 10 episodes and we just kind of touched on the tip of it in one Mm -hmm. short episode, (laughs) but it continues to be a complex, um, a complex thing to have to navigate as engineers Mm -hmm. um, in this, in this world where supply chains aren't necessarily as steady as they used to be. Um, So if you have a particular supplier story you want to share with us or um, have another idea or you've seen an article that you read that you think would be interesting about this topic, please share it with us. You can leave a comment um, at speaking of, oh, at ascendoreliability.com forward slash series forward slash SOR. And we will get your comments. We like to hear questions and get your feedback. We do read everything and uh, people get back to you about your comments and questions too. So we appreciate them. Send them along. Absolutely. Any other last thoughts, Chris? No, no, just uh, don't, I suppose the last thing is don't stop thinking. Don't put critical thinking on pause while you follow standards or just follow what we've always done or you know, get enamored by resumes and CVs. Just just start critically thinking from the start. You do a lot worse. <laughs> That's also good advice. <laughs> Lots of sage advice from Chris today. <laughs> oh, there we go. Hey, Chris, I, uh, I appreciate talking with you. Same, Diana. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.